0: Father, that you are worthy of praise and glory and honor and adoration. And Jesus, that praise is directed to you as well, to the Lamb who was slain for us. We thank you for what you have done for us. God, as we look into your word again today and we see another picture of what it looks like in heaven, people praising you, may we be reminded of what our lives should look like here now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you haven't picked up on it yet, uh, we are walking through the book of Revelation here at Cornerstone. We started at the beginning of the year, and we'll go through probably the fall. Um, So far in this series, we've talked a lot about worship. And we'll continue that today as we see another amazing scene of worship in chapter 7. But as we move forward in Revelation, it talks also about punishment. So if you weren't here last Sunday, we looked at chapter 6, where we saw a lot of punishment poured out on earth now if you weren't here for last Sunday's sermon I just direct you to that one it's online as are all the sermons that we have here um, the deal is as we t- and we talked about this last Sunday God would not be holy if he did not respond with justice towards sin that is just something that, that must be true of his holiness and we would not want it any other way but we also know that God's plan for us is better than punishment and wrath. But God's plan for us is to send His Son, which He's already done, send His Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for our sins. So that brings us back then to the theme of worship. So it's kind of interesting. In Revelation, first we get five chapters, and one of the main themes is worship. And then we got chapter six, and it's punishment. But then we get chapter seven again today, and we'll see more worship. And the idea is that even as we continue to go through the book of Revelation and we'll see a lot more punishment, may we be reminded that God is worthy of worship. In fact, I am working under the assumption, uh, I've been working on it and it's I'm, I'm still with me here as we continue through this book, that worship is perhaps the main application that we should be getting from the book of Revelation. And when I say worship... I include in that this idea that if you have not yet received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, the best way for you to worship him is to give your life to him. And then for the rest of our lives, and really for the rest of eternity, what we should do is worship God who is worthy. But again, um, a confession here as we continue through the book of Revelation. I don't understand it all. So uh, who here is keeping the scorebook of how many times that I say I don't know exactly what's going on? Well, there's one issue that we have to address kind of right away that I don't know about. Chapter 6 deals with punishment, and then in Chapter 7, that punishment is, God says, hold off, don't punish quite yet. So some theologians disagree. Um, some people say that actually Revelation 7 happens before Revelation 6. But remember, here, here's why this doesn't have to concern us. John, the Apostle John, who was given the book of Revelation, how did it come to him? It came in visions. So he was, in some points, taken up into heaven, and he was given a vision. And I know for sure that John didn't understand it all. In fact, uh, one of the people in heaven asked him a question in the chapter today, and John's response was basically, I don't know, but I'm guessing you do. Um... so it's okay for us if we don't understand everything about Revelation. And, and the point of our sermon series through Revelation, and I, I said this at the beginning, I'll say it again now, the point is not that we would be able to understand every single thing about every single vision. I am almost coming to wonder if God maybe wants us not to understand every single thing about it. He, he's given us enough that we know what it's there, that we know that he's in control but perhaps not enough that we can figure out every single little detail that we might like to figure out. So, and one of those details is the timing of chapters 6 and 7. I'm just going to kind of throw my arms up and say, I'm not exactly sure on this one. But I'm okay with that because, and here's what's important. As we go through the book of Revelation, the, the, the themes that I really want you to pick up on are that God is in control, so he knows all about what's going to happen. I don't, but God does. But it's not just that God's in control, it's also that he is worthy of worship. So, yes, we have questions. I have questions about Revelation. I'm kind of curious to see how it's going to come together. I heard a great quote from a pastor. He said, uh, in regard to the second coming of Jesus, he said, I have moved from the planning committee to the welcoming committee. (laughs) So, I think it's a great place for us to be. We're going to welcome him when he comes, instead of telling him he came at the wrong time when he comes. Okay, but I do know some things about the book of Revelation, and I would like to address some of those things today. We're going to look at chapter 7, and the way that I want to do it today, I I think that Revelation 7 in some ways can serve as a summary of the entire book. So we're going to walk through chapter 7 today, and I have five themes that I want to point out, that each of them are in chapter 7, but I also think that each of them point us to a, a greater theme of the book of Revelation. So my sermon today is kind of to help you Both understand chapter 7, but also gain a a bigger picture understanding of the entire book of Revelation. So let's start out by reading Revelation 7, verses 1 through 3. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. So I have five themes today. The first theme that I want to talk about is punishment. Now we saw this again in chapter 6. And then here we see four angels who are holding the four winds of the earth. And then there's another angel who comes and lets us know that these first four angels have power to harm the land and the sea. But they're told to wait a little while until God puts a seal on His servants. And we'll get to that part in just a moment. But what we see so far in these first three verses of chapter 7 is that God is preparing to send punishment on the earth. And again, it is right for Him to do so. Now, praise the Lord as we talk about punishment. We talked about this last Sunday, that our punishment for our sins is on Jesus Christ. That if we have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that means that our punishment fell on Him, and we do not have to face the eternal wrath of God because Jesus paid our penalty. Yet, as we think about all the wickedness and sin that has been piling up on earth for thousands of years, it is right and holy of God to come with punishment. So the conclusion is, because of God's holiness, it, it's right for him to do these things. But what we see in chapter 7 is actually that that punishment is delayed. So it's like there's a, there's a preparation here in chapter 7 for punishment that is to come. And we need to know that. I want you all to be on the right side of things. When, God comes, when, when Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead, I want you to be on the right side and understand that the penalty for sin is severe. I hope you know that Jesus is our only way out of that and that you've received him by faith. Okay, but in chapter 7, like I said, this punishment is delayed for a short time. It's delayed because God wants to protect his servants, and that brings us to our second theme, which is protection. Let me read verses 3 through 8. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. Okay, I reread verse 3 because it reminds us that God plans to bring punishment, but He also in that verse, planned to protect his people by putting a seal on their foreheads. If you read ahead to chapter 9, verse 4, you see that those who are sealed were not to be harmed by the locusts that were coming as part of the punishment on the earth. It's actually very similar to what we saw in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 9 where there was a, a mark put on the, on the people who belonged to God and they were not to be harmed. So God knows who belongs to him and is able to protect them. And here in these verses, we see that 144,000 are sealed. And there's, again, a lot of theological disagreement on on that number, 144,000 or who they might be. But again, it doesn't have to concern us. Um, Now, for one, it could very well be that this is a symbolic number. It's the number 12 times 12 times 1,000. So 12 is a number of completeness. So if you... Multiply a complete number by a complete number, then you have a very complete number. And then if you multiply that by a thousand, which could just be a figurative number for a whole bunch, what you have here is potentially a figurative way of talking about mass completion. Now, there's also debate. We're talking about a lot of debate. Why are we doing that today? Well, um, here, we'll, let me just show you uh, two sides of this. Some theologians suggest that these 144,000 are entirely Jewish others suggest that this is a way to talk about God's church with Gentiles included in along with the Jews as well well the Bible talks about both truths one truth on one side is that God does have future plans for Israel you you can't read Romans 11 and miss that idea that there will be a time when in large numbers Jews will return to God They, they will come back to him so it could be that Revelation 7 is talking about that restoration, that fullness of God's plans for Israel. But that same chapter, Romans 11, also talks about Gentiles being grafted into the same tree that the Israelites are in. So on the other side, this, this could very well symbolically include Gentiles in God's people. In Psalm 87, Romans 9, and basically the entire book of Galatians, we see Gentiles given a name and a place among God's people as if they had been born in Israel. So, whether it's the restoration of Israel or whether it's the fullness of the church, either way, the point is that these are servants of God, they belong to Him, and He is protecting them. What kind of protection is it? Well, as I alluded to already, in chapter 9, they're protected from one part of the punishment that was coming on the earth. Um, But... That also lets us know that they're going to be around when that punishment is there. And if we look ahead even further in chapter 13, we see that the beast was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. So what kind of protection is that for God's people? Well, here, and this this is important as we're talking about Revelation, it's important to notice the difference between suffering and wrath. We are told by Jesus that we may very well have to face suffering and trouble in this world. In fact, he guaranteed it to us in John 16. But if we're talking about wrath, and especially as we think about the eternal wrath that is poured out on God's enemies, we know that we are spared from that because of what Jesus did for us. So here, it's kind of an in-between. It looks like these people who are around, and by the way, uh, there's also some disagreement on who is going to be around on earth during the tribulation, but I mentioned at the beginning of my sermon series as well that we're not going to argue about that. Whether you think that the church has to go through that time or that the church is going to be raptured before that time, we're not going to argue about that here. But we know that there will be some people around during that time and that they may have to face some trials, but that God will still protect them and that eternal protection is given to us in Jesus Christ. So that is how God is able to protect his people. Okay, um, let's now move on. I'm going to read the rest of the chapter, and we'll look at our scenes 3 through 5 as we look at verses 9 through 17. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where do they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. <coughs> and he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The third thing that we're going to look at today is worship. And again, I'm still operating under the assumption that the main application for us from the book of Revelation is that we should worship God. God is in control, and he's worthy of worship. So for the third time now in the book of Revelation, think about this. We're only in chapter 7, and for the third time now, we see all of heaven erupting in praise for God. Once wasn't enough. Twice wasn't enough. And in fact, as we go through the rest of the book of Revelation, we'll see even more of it. This is what happens in heaven. Everyone there worships God, because he is holy and worthy. It says in verse 9, that, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language were there. This crowd is probably best understood as all faithful people from all generations. It's everybody who has come to Jesus. And I love that it's from every nation, tribe, people, and language. You see, every single human being is created in the image of God. Now, you all remember, probably from Genesis 1, that God created Adam and Eve in his image. But did you know that that same description still applies to us that we, even after the fall, even though we are tainted and marred by sin, it is still true of us in the Bible, God says that we are still in God's image. That means from the most wicked person you could think of uh, to the most handicapped person you could think of, the oldest and the youngest, all of us are in the image of God. And what that means is that we have intrinsic value to Him. Now what it doesn't mean is that we do everything right. Just because we were created in his image doesn't mean that we always do what we should. Far from it. And we grieve God when we sin. We were created to be like him and all too often we act unlike him. Yet, we have the image of God in us. And what we see here in Revelation then is that God loves all people of earth and wants people from every... And it's not just that he wants, it's that... Eventually, people from every nation, tribe, people, and language will be with him. It's one of the reasons why the gospel message is to go to the ends of the earth. It's one of the reasons why, as we give money here at Cornerstone, it doesn't just stay with us. We give a significant percentage of our money for the gospel to go to the corners of the earth. God loves all people. He wants them to be saved. He wants people to come to repentance. This is also a reason why racism has no place in the church. Really, no no place anywhere. God loves, again, look at it, every nation, tribe, people, and language. There aren't separate drinking fountains in heaven for the people of different races. And if that's the way that God feels about it, then that's the way that we should feel about it now as well. Racism has no place in us because all of us are created in the image of God. All of us are loved by God. God sent His Son. For who? For God so loved the The world. Okay, let's move ahead to verse 9. I'm going to put the rest of the verse up there. It talks about this crowd in heaven. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Now, I'm guessing that many of you, as you think of palm branches, you're maybe thinking about Palm Sunday. Remember in Palm Sunday, we celebrate that time when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and the people were waving palm branches and they were shouting, what word was it? Hosanna! Great job, guys! And what does the word Hosanna mean? Save us! It's a, it's a prayer of salvation. So on that day, when Jesus came in, it was right for the people to praise him. It was right for the people to, to say that word, Hosanna, which is a prayer of asking for salvation. But you notice in heaven now, they're not asking for salvation. They've already been saved. Instead, what they're doing, we'll see in verse 10, they're praising God for salvation. Says so then they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So one of the reasons it's good for us to praise God is because He saved us. Now, for those who follow the wrong path, there is punishment, but for those of us who give our lives to Jesus, we are spared from that eternal wrath of God, and that is one of the reasons that we should praise God, because of our salvation. I I deeply hope that you have made that connection in your life, that because God has saved you, He is worthy of praise. Let me contrast two different kinds of people. So let's talk about two hypothetical people. I'll call the first one person number one. Person number one heard the gospel message that salvation is only in Jesus Christ. And when he heard that, he was so grateful that that meant that he could be rescued from hell. He didn't like the idea of going to hell, so he heard that he could pray a prayer to receive Jesus, and he thought that was a good deal. So he prayed that. But then he, he got this idea in his mind that, well since I'm going to get to go to heaven when I die, that means that I can live my life the way that I want to right now. So even though he said he gave his life to Jesus, he ended up living his own life the way that he wanted to, perhaps even assuring himself that Jesus would forgive him of his sins. Now let me ask you a question about person number one. Who is he living for? Himself. How often do you think that person number one stops To worship God for the salvation that he was given. I would guess that increasingly that would become more and more rare in his life, that he would go before the Lord and praise him for salvation. Let's contrast that with person number two who also heard the gospel message. But person number two was so grateful for the message of new life because he recognized that his way of life was leading to death. So he not only prayed a prayer of salvation. But he continued to walk around with Jesus as Savior and Lord. And because he was so grateful on a continual basis for the salvation that was given to him, he regularly went to God in worship. He also regularly confessed his sin. Whenever he became aware of it, he recognized that that was a pattern of his old way of life that he should flee from. And he continually went to God, both in repentance and in worship. Which one of those people, it's obvious, which one of those people is living the life they were supposed to? Now, allow me to be a little bit harsh with person number one. Since these are just hypothetical people, let me be a little harsh. I'm not sure that person number one ever really gave his life to Jesus. He said he did, but in the Bible we're told to fix our eyes on Jesus. Who is person number one fixing his eyes on? On himself and on his own gain. Now, may we all be reminded that we are constantly tempted to live that life, the the life for ourselves. We are tempted to live our lives for our honor, for our glory. But one of the things I love about the book of Revelation is that it regularly reminds us to look to God and give Him the honor and glory that He is worthy of. And I think that one of the main ways that, that we can stay on the right path if we're following this example of person one versus person number two one of the best ways to stay on the right path is to go regularly before God in worship. It helps us stay on the right track. So that's what happens in heaven. This great multitude of people praises God for salvation. But, once again, just like what happened in chapter 5, the angels didn't want to be left out. They saw all these people praising God, and the angels said, hey, we want in on this too. So in verse 12, the angels say, Amen! Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. It's like, as I said um, two weeks ago in my sermon on chapter 5, that they wanted to use every word they could think of to praise God. If there was any worship word that they knew, they wanted to use it to glorify God because he is worthy. And then one other thing about worship. From verse 15, it talks about people being before the throne of God and serving him day and night in his temple. This word serve has its roots in the Old Testament. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, when this word comes up, it's difficult to tell whether it should be translated as serve or worship. Let me give you an illustration on that. The people who, who worked in the temple and it was their job to offer sacrifices and to train people in God's law, were they serving there or were they worshiping? As they offered a, a sacrifice to God. Well, they were serving God by worshipping Him. They were worshipping God by serving Him. Now, think of it this way. In the New Testament, we are priests. In the Old Testament, it was just a a certain sliver of the people who were priests. But in the New Covenant, those of us who have come to Jesus, all of us, we are the priesthood. So we are to offer spiritual sacrifices. We don't need to offer any more animal sacrifices. Praise the Lord. That was once for all taken care of in Jesus Christ. We, we don't need a ranch full of animals anymore. <laughs> but what we should do is offer sacrifices of praise. And when we praise God, w- when we serve Him, we're worshiping Him. When we worship Him, we're serving Him. And what that means for us is that whether we are at work, or at home, or at school, or at church, we can be worshipers of God and servants of God. And I want you to know that one of the themes I've been trying to get across to you lately is that when you go to work, you can be a worshiper of God. When you go home, you can be a worshiper of God. We don't, pause, we don't hit the pause button on our lives and then come to church on Sunday mornings and then um, hit the stop button and then go back to our old lives back at home. I want, to, I want you to see your life as being a little bit more integrated than that and that everything that we do can be an act of worship if we are doing it for God according to His ways. So that means whether you're singing a song here with us or making a meal, you can worship God by serving Him. Romans 12.1 Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So worship happens with our lives, with our bodies, as we follow God, as we give ourselves to him. In whatever we do, we live for him. Okay, let's move on to our next theme then. Fourth theme is robes washed white. Let me tell you a story here first. We had a contest one day in our house at suppertime. Uh, here's, here's the contest. We were making some sort of noodle dish in a red sauce, and most of them were white noodles, or whatever color noodles are. We'll just call them white. And uh, the contest was that Christine and I put one red noodle in, into the batch and, and cooked it in the sauce, and the, the winner of the contest was the person who could find the red noodle in their sauce. So uh, it was kind of fun. We, we cooked it all up, served it to the kids, and what first thing the kids do, they're not interested in eating, they're okay. just looking through their serving. You know, do I have the red noodle? Do you have it? And it took a while, and they couldn't find it. And they couldn't find it. And pretty soon Christine and I like, come on, we'll help you. And we go and we look for that red noodle, and we can't find it either. And, and we both know that we put it in there. We saw it put it in there. I, I even saw it was a different shape than the other noodles. Like, okay, okay. It has to be in there somewhere. I said, maybe I'll look for it now by shape, because I saw what shape it was. So I looked for it by shape, and I found it. But you know what color it was? White, just like all the other noodles. So think about this. this. This red noodle cooked in red sauce became white. Well, in verse 9 and verse 14 of our passage, we see that those who are saved and stand before the throne have white robes. In Revelation, we see white clothing at least nine times. So it's a theme of Revelation. White represents purity. But it is not a purity of our own. In fact, by our own actions, we had made our clothes blood red. I love this verse, Isaiah 1:18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Look at the first part of that verse. Come now, let us reason together," says the Lord. It reminds me of getting called into the principal's office as a kid. Anybody had that feeling of? And imagine going to the principal's office, and he says to you, "Let's talk about what you did." And your head kind of hangs, like I know, I know. But imagine going into God's office, and God says to you, "Let's talk about what you did." What could we say to God? But amazingly, this conversation with God turns out well for us. And it turns out well for us because of what Jesus did for us. That in His blood, our sins, though they are red, though they have stained us deeply, and you know that the the punishment for sin would be eternal separation from God. It is so deep a stain, we could never get it out. But, we are washed white in the blood of the Lamb. Our sin-stained robes washed white in the blood of Jesus. And I hope you know that that's the only way of salvation. That's the only way for our sin problem to be taken care of. If Jesus didn't die for our sins, that, the punishment, like I said, would have been eternal separation between us and God. But in Jesus we have complete forgiveness, our robes washed white. Now back to my noodle story. Uh, Looking by color, there was no way to find that noodle that used to be red. And similarly, when we're in heaven, there will be no trace of sin left on us. Praise the Lord, we are completely washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's another great reason for us to worship him, because of what he did for us. Okay, let's move on now to our fifth theme, fifth and final one, God's presence. Back in October and November of last year, I did a sermon series on God with us. And if you're surfing around the internet thinking, hey, I should listen to a sermon, because I know that's what people regularly do, right? Um, But if you're interested in listening to a sermon, I encourage you to go back to one of those. I really enjoyed that sermon series. And what I would say, uh, I said it repeatedly in that series, and I'll say it again now, the biggest blessing that we can have is the blessing of God with us. Because of what Jesus did to rescue us from our sin, we can have a relationship with God right now, and that relationship with him will last forever, for all eternity. It's the biggest blessing that we can have of being with God. Now, in the last three verses of Revelation 7, we get a wonderful picture of what that presence with God will look like where we get to be with him in heaven. Let me reread verses 15 through 17. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In verse 15, it talks about how God will spread a tent over his people. That tent language shows up throughout the Bible in various stages. It's it's one of God's ways of talking about how he wants to live with us. uh, In the Gospel of John, it also talks about how God will make his dwelling with us. That is true for us who know Jesus. And the final installment of it is when we get to be in heaven and God spreads his tent over us and because we get to be with him there that means these wonderful blessings that never again will we hunger never again will we thirst no beating of the sun upon us nor any other scorching heat and the lamb at the center of the throne will be our shepherd he will perfectly take care of all of our needs give us everything that we need do you look forward to heaven? I hope you do. Um, sometimes I think we get like so super spiritual about this that we get unspiritual, if you're following what I mean. Sometimes I think that we Christians think, oh no, I'm not supposed to think about heaven, I'm just supposed to serve God now. And whatever he gives me there will be just fine. You know, there's something to that, but there's also something to this idea that God has told us many places in the Bible what heaven looks like, what we will get to enjoy with Him. And He gave it to us so that we can rejoice in Him now, so that we can be reminded of these wonderful truths, like the truth of Jesus being our shepherd and giving us everything that we need. Which, by the way, we can live out some of that right now. In Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. It talks about how His goodness and love Will follow us all the days of our life. Talks about how he'll lead us beside quiet waters. That, that can be true now in our relationship with God, and in heaven we get the, the final installment of it. Perfection, God taking care of all of our needs. And, and it's something that we can and should look forward to. Or, like it says later in Revelation, there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain and has reminded us here that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, please know that in Christ that is where we are headed, to the perfect place with the God who loves us and will take care of us. Be encouraged by that. Okay, that's Revelation 7. I want to close now by just kind of quickly walking through three points of application. So we've got these five themes, but I'm going to condense them down into three points of application. And the first point of application has to do with this idea of punishment or protection. So, if God punishes the wicked, but saves those who have faith in Jesus, which side are you on? Revelation ends with a battle. The enemies of God are have to face the wrath of God. But, those who have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord get to live with Him forever. So if you recognize that the only way for your sin-stained robe to be made white is in the blood of the Lamb, have you come to Jesus for forgiveness? If not, do it right now. Just talk to him. Use your own words to tell him how you know that you're a sinner and that you know you need Jesus' blood to cover you. Give your life to him. But we don't just give our life to him and then go our own way. What we really should do, and this is application number two, is we should be worshipers of God. Is that what you are? In just a few minutes, we're going to read our benediction verses that talk about how we should continue to live in Jesus. Do you walk around with Jesus? Do you worship him? There are so many great reasons to praise God. We've seen a few of them already in Revelation. God is holy. God is worthy. He saves us. May we be people who constantly come to him to glorify him. Let's not be like people who just try to receive gifts from him, but then go our own way. Remember the story of the ten lepers in the Bible? Jesus healed them, and then he sent them off. Uh, But only one of them, only one of the ten, came back to thank Jesus. And I'm not sure if we're supposed to look at that, you know, and and say 90% of people won't thank Jesus, but here's the way I look at that. Only one of the ten did. It is rare for people to live a life of thankfulness to God. But God is worthy of praise. So I want us to be like that one leper out of ten. I want us to be those rare people who praise God and give Him the honor and glory that He is due. And then application number three, having to do with God's presence. Do you trust that God will take care of you? When difficult things come your way, are you, just, you just know that God's got your back? Now, yes, we will have to go through difficult times in life, but know that God loves you. And his protection for you isn't just a protection once we get to heaven. He's watching over us now and wants to go through life with us, even now. And because he's with us, we can trust that he'll take care of us. Whatever comes our way. He loves us and wants to be with us. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why he told us the future in the book of Revelation. He wants us to know him and to live with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've told us all these things. You've told us about punishment to come. May we recognize that there is wrath to come on your enemies. We pray <coughs> that we would know Jesus Christ and proclaim the gospel of Jesus to those who don't yet know him. Thank you, God, for the the protection that you give your people. That for those who know Jesus, you promise promised us eternal life with you. And even your protection in the midst of what we go through now. God, may we be worshippers of you. May we be people who constantly seek you and give you the honor and glory that you are worthy of. Help us not to fix our eyes on ourselves. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And to worship and praise you. We thank you that in Jesus our robes can be washed white. Our sin, though it was like scarlet, can be washed white. We praise you for that forgiveness. And God, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for Emmanuel, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives with us now. We thank you, God, for your presence with us now in our hearts by faith. And we thank you for eternity to come, and we will get to live with you face to face. But until then, God... May we live as worshipers. May we continue to praise you, for you are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.